Hello, and welcome to the Virtual CISO Chronicles, a podcast where I interview a virtual CISO about their work and life. I am your host, Caroline McCaffrey. I'm one of the co-founders of ClearOps, which provides software to virtual CISOs that helps them grow and scale their businesses. As experts in this field, we have met hundreds of security consultants, and we keep our fingers on the pulse of the industry. My background is in law, with a focus on data privacy and cybersecurity. But I also have a long career working with startups. In fact, my parents had their own business, which is why I love learning about how people build their businesses. So I started this podcast to feature interesting people in cybersecurity to talk about their passions, entrepreneurship, and of course, business. If you don't know what a virtual CISO is, then these professionals are security experts who offer consulting services to companies. Sometimes they are also referred to as fractional CISOs. Our guest today is Kip Boyle. Thank you, Kip, for joining me and welcome to the podcast. Uh, it's wonderful to be here. Thanks so much for inviting me. I am really excited to be talking to you today. And I, you know, I was on your podcast and now you're on my podcast. So that is cool. It is. I, I have to say first, if if the audience doesn't know you, you are everywhere. You have your own podcast, the Cyber Risk Management Podcast. Mm -hmm. You also are a LinkedIn learning expert and teacher, if I yep. know that That's correctly. That's right. Uh -huh. And you have your own consulting business. Oh yep. my gosh. I mean, there's even know. more. You don't, you've only scratched the surface, believe it or not. Uh, I have a, I have a second podcast called Your Cyber Path. And the purpose of that is to help people start a cybersecurity career or to uh, accelerate their cybersecurity career to get promoted and, uh, you know, to, and to do well for themselves and their companies. Uh, I've published a book. It's called Fire Doesn't Innovate, the Executive's uh, Practical uh, Guide to Managing Cyber Risk. And uh, and I have courses on Udemy. So if you go over there and put my name in, you'll see that I have a implementing NIST cybersecurity framework and implementing the NIST risk management framework. And I did those with Jason Dion. If you've ever taken one of Jason's certification prep courses, then you know what you're in for. I mean, I, so much so much for me to ask you, but I'm going to start with the question I ask everybody. Um, and then we'll get into all these different things that you're doing and how you're managing your time. Okay. But first, let's go into your background. How did you get started? And please include something that is non-security related about yourself. Oh, sure. I backed into cybersecurity as a career. I was on active duty in the Air Force. I had gone to uh, flight school, uh, undergraduate pilot training is what they call it. And it's a 12-month program. And after about I soloed the uh, twin jet trainer that they used to kind of introduce us to um, to, to flying uh, performance aircraft. And after I after I soloed it, I realized that this was a bad fit for me. Uh, my heart just wasn't in it. And so I I did something that most people don't do. I raised my hand and I said, can I do something else, please, uh, Uncle Sam, because this isn't doing it for me. And um, and the Air Force said, uh, sure. And they looked at my undergraduate degree and they said, oh, well, we need all kinds of uh, computer people right now. This is like the early 1990s. And so they they whisked me off to do uh, work on some air-to-air -air weapons development projects. Hmm. So I worked on um, like air-to-air -air missiles. And then I worked on the F-22 Advanced Tactical Fighter which we all know is the Raptor now. And along the way, I had to learn how to do data security because these were all 
highly classified weapon systems projects. And it and it turned out I liked it and everybody else hated it. And when they found out I liked it, they're like, good, you're going to do all this. And so they gave me everything. <laughs> and I was a nerd. I was just like, great, I'll do this. And then when I left the Air Force in um, the summer of 97, I remember asking myself, gosh, I wonder if I can get a job in the private sector doing this kind of work. And I've never stopped doing this kind of work. So that's kind of how it happened. That's fascinating. So uh, I, I have to, I just have to ask. So I, I actually, when I was younger, was tr was training to do my private pilot's license, and I have done a solo before. Um, just just a quick question. So I have to ask a quick question on yeah. that. So you did the solo. Can you just explain to people what that means when you do a solo? Yeah, what that means is that you train, you train, you train, and there's a uh, instructor pilot in the cockpit with you, and at some point. Uh, the the instructor pilot says, "Okay, you're ready," and you pull uh, you know you pull the aircraft off to a safe place. They get out. Uh, you shut the door, and then your job is to fly this thing all by yourself, which is you know up to that point you'd never done that before. And so uh, so you know I taxied out to the to the runway, did all the radio calls, got into the air, did a few patterns around uh, around the uh, the runway. And uh, and then landed and then went back over to uh, to my instructor and then, you know, he critiqued me. That's what it is. OK, that's I mean, it, it's amazing. And um, I can't I can also imagine quite some terrifying in a lot of ways. <laughs> it, it was very <laughs> let's just say I had a ton of performance anxiety. I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, that started you down a path of. Uh, a career path that is quite interesting. So tell us a little bit more about how you then got to the point of, in your career where you wanted to start your own business. Sure. Well, I had had it in my mind for a long time that, gee, maybe one day I'd like to have my own business. But um, but I, I, I had never uh, really found the right time to do it because uh, it felt to me like a lot of different things had to come together in order to increase the chance of success. And so over the course of my career, I would occasionally think about it, but I never felt like I had all the ducks uh, lining up and everything in my favor. So when I left the Air Force, I went to work at Stanford Research for about three years. Um, and then I did a, a string of other jobs. And then I landed at uh, Pemco Insurance, which is a personal lines, property and casualty uh, insurance company in uh, Seattle. And I became their chief information security officer. And that was in 2003. And I stayed there for seven years. And after I got done uh, being there, I felt burnt out, to be honest with you. Um, it, it, it's difficult to carry the, the the weight of the entire organization's digital safety on your shoulders. And I was yeah. exhausted. And so uh, so so I asked myself, well, what next? And and I actually went off and just did IT risk management for a while, just just you know any IT risk management for a global logistics company. And that was really refreshing for me. And then after I was done there, after about five years, I was like, well, now what? And, and that's when I realized you know, I could go back to being a CISO at one company, but I think I'd have a much better impact on the on this problem space if I launched my own company and then I could work with multiple different companies. And so I just started doing my homework and I realized there'd never been a better time to launch a fractional CISO or virtual CISO, whichever one you want to say, uh, service. And so I did. And I look back on it now, that was um, almost eight years ago. 
And uh, it's embarrassing how much I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you mean by that? What, what didn't you know? Well, so I knew when I launched my company that I did not have the kind of connections with people that would translate into a lot of, uh, of work, right? Like filling my sales <laughs> funnel. I knew I didn't. And so I knew I had to go out there and really beat the bushes and learn how to sell and how to market. And I got I got so blessed because within 60 days of quitting my full time job and and networking, I encountered a, a guy that that I knew uh, previously had been a peer of mine. He was the CISO for a billion dollar consulting firm that had global operations. And and he said, gosh, you know, my my team, uh, I've got all these empty positions. I could really use some help. Uh, would you like to come and help me? And I said, I would love to. And thank you so much for inviting me. What a load off that was. And and he said, well, I could use your help. I, I, he's like, I, how many hours do you want to work? And I was like, well, I'm trying to grow a business here. So I would like to work for you for three days a week. And I'd like to take two days a week to build my network and find new customers because I, I don't want to be an independent contractor. I don't want to just be a 1099. I want to actually have a business that, you know, I want a book of business with lots of lots of different customers and so forth. So, and he was yeah. so gracious. I, I really consider him not just a customer, but a patron because like an artist, you, you know, I, I was at a place where I just needed somebody to uh, to come in and uh, and and support me in the sense of you know hey I believe in you and and you can add value and so you know let's do business together and I I served him for eighteen months the first eighteen wow. months that my company was uh, on its feet and that created such a tremendous stability for me to go off and find more customers yeah wow okay you say so much and then there's just so much for me to unpack um, okay so. <laughs> So you wanted to create a bit. You said you didn't want to be an independent contractor. You wanted to create a business. Yes. What did that mean for you? Well, I wanted to create the kind of business that would fulfill my my sense of of what I could do for people. The way that when I was a CISO, I would always be looking for outside companies that could come us, uh, uh, alongside me and help. And I was just constantly frustrated by the experiences that I was having, I could never really find the kind of partner that I really wanted. And so I had this vision of, of being the kind of partner that I had always wanted to be. And so that's really the vision that I pursued. And part of that vision includes um, this idea that I'm independent. I, so, so Cyber Risk Opportunities is the name of my company. We don't resell anything. So when we recommend, you know, hey, you should, you know, consider using this product or that product or or whatever, or this firm or that firm, it never is because we're going to make uh, an affiliate or a commission fee or anything like that. Um, it's it's because we think that's what's in the best interest of the customer. And, and in that way, we kind of operate as a fiduciary, right? We're mm -hmm. trying to put the needs of our customers ahead of our needs. And it's a bit of a leap of faith, right? It's an act of faith because we believe that if we serve our customers the way they want to be served, then they'll take care of us financially, right? They'll pay our bills and um, and they'll ask us to do more things. And I and and the way I know this is working is we have lots of testimonials. People have said, I will give you a testimonial. You can put my name and and you can put my photo on your website, on your proposals. That's how much they enjoyed, you know, working with us. And the other thing that I'll, I'll have to say too is in eight years of operating, 
I only ever failed to collect $1,100 that was owed to me. Everybody else has paid every invoice we've ever submitted. And to me, that says a lot about people's yeah. satisfaction. It does. How many, how many employees do you have? Right now we have, uh, including myself, we have seven employees and then we have a small constellation of subcontractors that support yeah. us, including people who, you know, do pen tests and, and then also a bookkeeper, um, and that sort of thing. So, you know, uh, so I got, I got front office people, back office people, and, and I've got a real team. It, it, it looks a lot like the team that I built when I was on somebody else's payroll. Um, but in this case, we, uh, we're serving lots of different customers. Who was your first hire? Even if it was a part-time consultant, like who, who was the first person that you decided to help you with a business? Yeah, well, I actually hired three people all in one fell swoop <laughs> um, because I, I needed somebody who could provide sales and marketing leadership. And that was a good mm -hmm. friend of mine who had just recently retired from VMware. Yeah. And then I hired a young man who could be a cyber risk analyst. So somebody that I could delegate uh, paying customer facing work to. And then, and then I also hired a, a young man who served as a, um, like an account executive, right? Somebody who would actually go out and meet people and, um, and talk with them about their needs and then try to figure out um, if there was something that we could do, you know, to, to serve them. So I got, I got three people all at once. And, um, and that was my first hire. That is really super interesting. Okay. So you, you, you already answered one of my number one questions in this, which is what was the hardest thing about starting your business? So I'm going to, I'm going to shift a little bit and say, it sounds like you, those three hires, you definitely focused on some sales opportunities and, and customer support. And what I feel like you have done, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that you have perfected the marketing side of this because of how much you do. I told you I was going to ask about <laughs> how yeah. much you, you put out into the world. And it feels like a, it, it just feels like the marketing side is something that you have personally taken on as um, an area of expertise that you wanted to, yeah. to get. Yeah. And, and that's correct. And I got to tell you, it wasn't easy. It took a long, long time. And I tried to delegate that in the beginning, right? So I hired uh, you know, a friend of mine and a young man, and I said, great, you're the marketing and sales team. And I then I hired uh, a contractor who was doing social media and websites for me and everything. And after two years of pouring a lot of energy uh, into you know, training them up on our brand and what you know how we were different, um, it wasn't working. I mean, it was okay, but it wasn't mm -hmm. really fulfilling my my expectations for how many people we were going to be serving it just was kind of a mediocre thing so i had to actually blow all that up and i okay. had to then take on the burden myself i i i literally spent 2 years about um i would say anywhere between 20 and 40 hours per month learning how does sales and marketing actually work because I had such a hard time explaining my brand to other people and they just didn't get it. And it wasn't, and there's nothing wrong with them, right? It's just that um, uh, this brand is so unique and it's just so um, inex inexplicably tied to the way I think about things. And it's just not something I've, I could ever figure out how to teach somebody. So I had to learn sales and marketing and then, uh, and then I could build a program and have other people come alongside me because then I could delegate tasks to them that they could understand and do uh, very, very, very well. 
but I didn't have to burden them with carrying uh, our brand in a way that just wasn't reasonable. Yeah. That's amazing. Okay. So what is the brand? <laughs> so cyber risk <laughs> opportunities, we believe that cyber, while it has in the past been kind of an annoying, like technical problem, it's not anymore. It's now a material business risk. It's just as serious to any organization as risks to sales and order fulfillment and accounts receivable, right? Because a failure in any one of those areas can wipe your business out. Um, but what's different is that those areas tend to be plagued with what I would call static risks, things that are pretty well understood that take a long time to develop. And once you fig figure out that you've got a sales problem or an order fulfillment problem or accounts receivable problem, you typically have weeks to months to fix it. But cyber is dynamic. It's always changing. It always manifests in a different way. And you can go to bed tonight and tomorrow morning, you can be out of business because if a ransomware attack falls on you and you lose control of your systems, you can't sell, you can't fulfill orders, and you can't collect money that's owed to you all in one fell swoop, and you're in big trouble. And yeah. um, and so cyber has become, in many ways, the material risk of modern business. Hmm. I love that. I mean, I, and I think you probably know that I do, but I, I definitely don't see, I think, I get frustrated. My soapbox is when people say that cybersecurity is the cost center. Yes, mm -hmm. there are costs, but I do believe it's a revenue center because it can days, be. You yeah. Can't so get I talk about I talk yeah. about business value, right? What is the mm -hmm. business value of cybersecurity? And sometimes the business value is comes back to you in the form of financial returns, like increased productivity and things like that. Um, it can come back in the form of, hey, we can't close this deal with a major customer because they've just dropped this data security addenda on our desk and, and a 300 question questionnaire, which I know is what you're all about. And so cybersecurity can become sales enablement, right? And at that yes. point, you stop being a cost center and you become part of the revenue generating process. But even if that's not what you experience in your business, um, you can provide increased operational reliability. You can decrease the risk of some sort of a regulatory sanction. You can decrease the risk of a business email compromise. And all of that is wonderful business value. The challenge is talking about it in the form of business value as a opposed to what we normally do, which is talk about it in the form of risk management. Well, yeah. senior decision makers do risk management every day, every hour of every day, and they don't do it the way we do it. You know, they do it the way they do it. And so I learned quickly to get the hell out of that conversation and to foster <laughs> a conversation about business value and about material business risk. In fact, our ideal customers, you, you may be surprised to learn, is the chief financial officer of a mid-sized company. We don't really go out to market to sell, to to VPs of ITs, to CIOs, to CISOs. We do end up doing business with them, but really what we're trying to do business with is the CFO. Um, and so because that's our customer, we think about cyber risk the way they think about cyber risk. That's really interesting. Um, I'm going to pivot a little bit, even though I could I could talk about that for, for many more minutes. And um, <laughs> you, So you have two podcasts, Mm -hmm. a business that you're running. Yep. You're a course instructor on two different platforms. Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit more about all of this, you know, the, the well, tell me more about the podcasts and being the instructor. Sure. Is that for the business or some of this personal passion? 
So this comes back to a blend, actually, of business and personal passion. So one of the things that makes cyber risk opportunities different is that I love to teach. And, and, and it's just part of my DNA is to teach. Well, it turns out that in, the current, in this current market environment, when you're trying to sell professional services, teaching is a wonderful way to, um, uh, to sell. And it's called content marketing. And, and so I early on realized that if I could blend my passion for teaching with uh, with a content marketing based approach that that could that could work really well. And so when I first started trying to figure out how to do that, I encountered the typical stuff, write a book, right? Writing a book is the quintessential thing to do when you're launching a professional services firm. However, I uh, was was nosing around and I ended up talking to some people who said that video is really the future, right? Video can create an intimacy that a book cannot. And podcasts also can create an intimacy that a book cannot. And so I actually started with uh, with the idea of a podcast and with the idea of 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 releasing video courses on LinkedIn Learning. And and then after I found my voice, which is what was a huge part of why I was doing that, then I said, okay, it's time to write a book. And so that's kind of how the book happened. Okay. Um, and and and. There's no better way to scale intimacy than through a podcast or through a video course. That's one thing I learned. Yeah. Yeah. People getting to hear your voice, even yep. just your intonations. And yep. yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, and I, I don't know how you do it all. Um, honestly. Well, you'd probably be shocked if I told you that my wife and I have six kids. Oh my gosh. Yes, I am shocked. <laughs> how do you, <laughs> how, what are the, well, I mean, that's personal. I don't well, know. If it's you really, want it's, it's actually really simple. It's really simple. If you've ever heard the phrase, if you want something done, ask a busy person. <laughs> yes. Well, that's really all it is. I just have so many things going on that I have to be on the top of my game at all times. I, I, I do think there's something to the effect, to the effect of when you're a super busy person, you're, you are able to prioritize extremely well because you yes. have to. And, and that's, and that's a huge thing that I talk about with my customers is that they have unlimited cyber risks coming at them. They have limited resources. One of the things they absolutely have to do is ruthless prioritization because mm -hmm. they can't manage everything. So they have to figure out what's the most important thing to manage. And that's a huge part of the value that we deliver to them is helping them understand what their top five cyber risks are as a business risk, as a material business risk, not just as a technological one, and then setting them up for success. Well, that is a great sort of segue into one of one of the questions I love to ask uh, guests on the show, which is what industry trends are you seeing for this year, for 2023? Industry trends. Um, I'm sorry, like maybe even big risks that you're seeing 2023. Yeah. Well, I the, one of the big things that I see is that... Um, uh, companies that don't handle a lot of sensitive data are, are are continuing to wake up to the fact that they're targets. And what's at risk for them is control. And they know this intuitively, but they don't have a language for it. They don't have a mm -hmm. vocabulary. And so that's a big part of what I'm doing now in my in my courses and, uh, and in my podcasts is I'm talking about the fact that it's it's control of your of your systems is your is your greatest digital asset 
um, when it comes to things like ransomware attacks and uh, and and that sort of thing. And 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 so, for example, I had a conversation not too long ago with a customer that came to me because they were trying to renew their cyber liability insurance policy. They'd had one for ten years. This is like a billion dollar uh, agriculture uh, uh, aquatic agriculture company. And they couldn't renew it because the quote they got was not economical. And they said, hmm. well, dang, you know, like we're not going to spend money on this policy. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. So they said, well, we're going to self-insure for cyber. So they came to us, a uh, referral from the, their insurance broker, and, and we started talking to them. And one of the things I asked was, uh, I said, can you deliver any, because they catch fish. I said, can you, can you deliver any fish that you catch to your customers without your computers? Like, can you do that? And hmm. believe it or not, it took them a moment. They had to like look at the ceiling and think about it. And, and within about 30 or 45 seconds of kind of, of awkward silence, they finally said, no, we, we can't. And, and I said, well, that's because you're a tech company that happens to know a lot about phishing. And so for you, this is all about control of your systems. It's not about data. It's about, it's about retaining control of your systems. And that was a shock to them. And I remember hmm. another time I was talking to a manufacturer and I was debriefing uh, him on the work we had done. And he kind of got this crazy look on his face, like this really distant look. And I was nervous. I thought maybe I'd said something, you know, that uh, was not you know, appropriate or whatever. And so I stopped what I was doing and I said, is everything okay? And it took him a moment. And he said, and he said to me, he goes, I was like, I can't believe we're having this conversation. Uh, you know, we're just manufacturers. We're not tech experts. You know, why are we, why is this happening to, to us? And, and I had to say the same thing back to him, you know, anybody who can't serve customers without computers is in this boat. And it's not because you did anything wrong. It's because you started using the internet and the internet was this fuzzy, warm, cool place 20 plus years ago. But now it's this really awful neighborhood that we live in. Everything around us has changed and yeah. we call the police and they don't even show up. Right. And so it's like you didn't do anything wrong, but this is the reality that you have and you've got to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. So true. Well, I, I am cognizant of your time. Um, so I have just a couple more questions for you. Is there anyone of I, I love doing a pay it forward type of thing. Is there is there anyone you would recommend that I interview for this podcast? Yeah, there's a there's a fellow based out of Orlando. He's a fractional CISO. His name is Carlos Rodriguez, and I'd be glad to introduce you to him. I actually did interview him, so I'm so glad you said that. And he he recommended you. You guys, you guys, you know, <laughs> Carlos <laughs> cross reference. That's awesome. So well, I'm excited that you recommended him, and that I and I already interviewed him, and that um, you guys have a, are both on this podcast. So. Thank you, Kip, so much for your time. Please let listeners know how they can find you. Well, I think the easiest thing to do is to go to LinkedIn uh, uh, and then put your cursor in the search box and just type my name in because I think I'm the only Kip Boyle on the entire platform. So it should be really <laughs> easy to find me. And you can just send me a message or a connection request. And that's really where I hang out. And so that's probably the, the best choice. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, if you're a listener, you can find all of our blogs and this pod podcast on Substack at the Security Expert Marketplace. So once again, thanks for joining us, Kip. This was awesome. Really enjoyed talking to you. Thanks, everybody, for listening.